Ladies and gentlemen, goobers and ghouls, dear listeners, welcome back to Fear Boners. is presented by the Down in Front podcast, and I am your host, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us for another spooky episode. On today's episode, we actually have a special guest. My friend Che is here in town. Back in the day, we used to work together on a weird food blog known as the Boston Gastronauts. It is still floating out there on the internet somewhere on WordPress. If you want to go check that out, it's you can see baby-faced Che and I eating weird things for your entertainment. But yeah, Che, thanks for being on the show. Uh, let the listeners know a little bit more about you. So, hi, I'm Che, a.k.a. 3C Robles Jackson. That's the name I usually write under, so you get one of the C's for free. I mostly write short stories, occasionally uh, write for Cracked.com, and I am working on a novel that hopefully we'll be seeing within the next year. Great, great. Well, again, thank you for joining us. So tonight, we're going to have a little bit of a different format of the episode. Um, Che was going to be visiting town and sort of gave me the idea that he did want to talk about horror movies. There wasn't much new that we were both super excited about, so we kind of came up with the idea of talking about the themes of uh, motherhood and mothers in horror cinema in general. So we had a great list of movies to kind of riff on and talk through and kind of talk some, some of the overall themes that we've been seeing in recent movies and past movies and classic movies. So we're going to talk about a wide breadth of things here tonight. But before we get into that, back up a little bit, we're going to have our regular introductions of what we're drinking and what we've currently been watching. As for myself, I'm currently sipping on a UFO pink lemonade shandy because I'm a dainty, dainty, horror-loving gentleman. And it was the first thing that was closest to the door when I got to the liquor store today. And... Currently what I'm watching, I don't know if you guys saw on the Twitter, I had mentioned we watched the Slenderman movie, the recently released Slenderman movie. It is a stone-cold piece of garbage. It is hot shit on the side of the road. Do not waste your time. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. You get that advice for free, Che, as you're here. Don't go see that movie. It was awful. I don't even really want to talk about it at this point. It's just going to make me upset. Uh, what about you, Che? What are you drinking? What have you been watching? So I'm just having a little bit of water to keep my throat from getting dry. I, we watched over the last couple of days Goodnight Mommy in preparation for this podcast. And then we also watched The Monster, both dealing with themes of motherhood and this sort of new genre of motherhood horror films. <laughs> That have taken the world by storm. A big old mother load of storm and horror. I mean, in all seriousness, Hereditary sort of has gained that, you know, loved by horror fans and also by movie critics. I Loved is a difficult verb to use with, with that movie because it is... So terrifying and so disturbing, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, let's let's get right into it. So we already had an episode where we reviewed Hereditary, but I'd love to start there and kind of get your impressions. Like, what, what did you think going into it? What did you think coming out of it? Like, overall, and then get into the... We could start there with the theme of, like, motherhood with that movie, because that one did so well recently. I mean, for me, one of the weirder things was... So we're going to talk about movies that I really love in that like I enjoy watching and would watch over and over again like Mama is definitely one of those movies like both horrifying and enjoyable. Hereditary is exceedingly well made, completely horrifying, but also not very much fun to watch because it is so both so sort of terrifying in a real way when the daughter loses her head, literally <laughs> loses her head, you sort of are like, oh, well, I guess that's the movie we're watching now. And then it just sort of gets worse from there. I think it does really sort of underline the themes of motherhood, 
based around the idea of fears of being a poor mother or a poor parent, and on top of that, being such a poor parent that you will mess up your kids, maybe even worse than you're messed up. And we see that at sort of the end of Hereditary. Can we spoil it? And yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, as you all know, if you've seen it, and as you're about to know if you haven't, <laughs> in Hereditary, at the end, the son, we should have looked up names. <laughs> My apologies. Um, hereditary boy. Hereditary boy becomes the incarnation of a demon that his sister was bred to be in secret by their grandmother. And that's, you know, that's, uh, you're not going to be winning any grandmother of the year or mother of the year awards with that going on in your house. But, you know, it also deals with it in a very real way. She had, uh, the grandmother had DID, Dissociative Identity Disorder, and they, like, say that very clearly in the movie. And it does sort of get into these themes of generational trauma and it being so bad that even when you try to escape it, like, you can't, you can't do it. I mean, if we're gonna get, like, sort of big and grandiose here, it's, you know, we're in one of the biggest times of upheaval in the United States, you know, sort of worldwide. And there is sort of a fear that we're going to fuck everything up so bad that we're not going to be able to go back, but also that the previous generation, like, fucked it up so bad that we can't, even if we do everything great, we might still kill ourselves. So, uh... <laughs> not, if, not if we chop all our own heads off. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> really, really what I learned from Hereditary. If we just dig up some graves, chop off some heads, and uh, fly into some tree houses, we'll be all set. There's some old school magic that can help us fix all this. <laughs> you just have to believe in magic. <laughs> it's that Peter Pan bullshit. Yeah. Is... Yeah. No. What's so great about Hereditary? It's so emotionally draining up front, and yep. then it's just visually terrifying by the end. I think it has a really good balance, and the flow of the movie lends itself to like starting that way and ramping up, and then by the end, it's just you thought it was a scale of ten, and then by the end of the movie, you're already at like twenty five. Yeah. But then, like, what you were talking about when the girl loses her head, there's there's visuals where, just in the fact that you have both the emotional and visceral feelings that are in this film, you also have the fact that people are both literally and figuratively losing their minds. Yeah. So, people are losing their heads, but they're also, at the same time, going crazy in general, and I think that's kind of a great juxtaposition they have presented in the movie as well. But then just the fact they call the movie Hereditary, and there's that very stressful yep. relationship between mothers and daughters, generationally, that keeps kind of recurring over and over again. It's very circuitous, and sort of the same way, leading into the next movie, I think a great transition would be uh, into the surprise hit, for me at least, and I think you would say the same, Eyes of My Mother. Black and white film on Netflix. It was, it was very much up front, again, emotionally draining within the first five to ten minutes of the film. Yep. And then... I wouldn't say it's, like, viscerally or, like, visually terrifying until, like, the end of the end of the movie, but the middle of the movie, it's just very tense because you don't know which way this girl is going to go based on what you learn about her relationship with her mother. Yeah, no, the whole thing is really fascinating. I will say that both Hereditary and this movie, this movie is less visually terrifying, but in a weird way, they're both sort of visually beautiful. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to talk about, but Eyes of My Mother has these, like, sort of languid, long shots, both in the length and that they're, like, long shots where the landscape really takes over. So, yeah, it's sort of a surprise hit. I think both of these movies are more fun to talk about, maybe, than actually <laughs> watch, um, especially Eyes of My Mother. I think Hereditary is much more visceral. I think you're right. Eyes of My Mother is much more tense. It's also, I don't know, both leads are sort of vaguely sympathetic, but in Eyes of My Mother, the lead is sort of vaguely sympathetic throughout. There's a main character who, you know, you feel sorry for throughout. Also, with not bad parents, the worst thing that the mom does is die, and then she takes, like, <laughs> and that's, that wasn't her fault. But it does sort of go into this idea of, parents failing at traditional roles and if you look at older cinema and we'll get to this 
in a second. But if you look at something like Psycho, Norman Bates's mom, right, like sort of fails at being a traditional mom, but she does so intentionally. The dad in Eyes of My Mother fails at being a traditional dad, but it's just because, like, he's really bad at it. And it's not just that he didn't show up to, you know, protect his wife, but that his reaction is to lock a dude up in a barn, and then after a dude is locked up, to, like, not notice when his daughter takes this dude's eyes and cuts out his voice box. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like... Like, really, a really bad parent. And, like, also, while this is going on, she's like, oh, do you want to eat? Like, all dudes does is lock a dude in a barn and then watch TV. That's the entirety of this character. Oh, and dance with his daughter when she has to dance with him. There's also a weird scene that they never return to and is sort of <laughs> distressing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, but the whole thing where her, the mom is sort of... She's a veterinarian, right? Well, she was a doctor, and then she became a veterinarian when she came to the United States. And that's where the mother is sort of passing on her skills. There's a, a few scenes at the beginning where she's uh, showing her how to dissect, like, an eyeball, right? Yep. And that's kind of where the daughter gets this weird sort of fixation or, like, interest in dissection or, like, just almost breaking down animals in general. Yep. And that sort of leads into, because, like, the way you were talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, this ramped up really quick. And then, like, the listener's going to be like, wait, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> but, yeah, if you haven't seen Eyes of My Mother, definitely check it out. It is, you watched it on Netflix, right? Yeah. So it is still up on Netflix. A great example also of, like, a return to black and white as well, because I'm not making that up, right? It was in black and white. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's, like, in gorgeous black and white, which is, it's, like, gorgeous. I've heard people write about it and describe it as, like, a Diane Arbus photograph as, like, deeply, like, sort of distressing no matter what you do, but also, like, very a uh, slice of American life. It's also, like... It's <laughs> Slicing weird. a lot of things in this yeah, movie. Yeah, there's... <laughs> But it's also weird because it's an immigrant story, which is something that, I don't know, I still am sort of unpacking it, because the mom is from Portugal, you know, is she comes to the United States, obviously, to look for a better life, marries an American dude, is a veterinarian, where she used to be a doctor in Portugal. She's also in the movie for like 10 minutes, which is the <laughs> weirdest thing, because she gets killed by this guy almost immediately that just shows up at their house. It's weird... The whole structure of the film is actually very strange and very unique, and I don't know, it almost owes more to fairy tales and not like fairy tales and like the Disney princess kind, but sort of the Grimm's fairy tale fairy tales. It does have a very like kind of lofty, like you're, you're almost cringing the whole time once you sort of catch the vibe of the movie. When that first happens in the beginning, you're like, oh, it's really just going to hit you right off the bat with like that kind of weird, uncomfortable shit. And then you're kind of waiting for it. There's the anticipation throughout the whole movie. But then there is also that kind of fairy tale feeling to it. Like the flow of the movie is very up and down and up and down. And you don't know what's going to happen next. And you're waiting. You're almost at certain points waiting for something like semi-supernatural to happen. Yeah, it does seem like that sort of throughout. It doesn't, but it does sort of seem like that throughout. But even just, like, in little ways, like, a lot of fairy tales deal with, like, sort of fear of parents. And so to go back to the structure of the movie, it has, like, a three-chapter structure that's, like, stated explicitly. The movie opens, and it's one, mother, two, father, which is very strange, because... There's very little fathering that happens. The father part, dude is dead, and she's keeping him around. She says that she kills him at one point, but that maybe happened off screen, and maybe didn't happen. He might have just died, and she's like... Oh, and then she just is, like, cuddling his body for years, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it goes back to Psycho. That's that's a total Norman Bates movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, there's yeah, there's lots of weird echoes in this movie to previous movies like not explicitly stated or sort of like ha ha like sort of <laughs> gotcha like, yeah like winking references but it definitely is of the genre even though it sort of gets presented as an art house film but so yeah so there's like a father where a dude is just dead and then she decides that she wants to have sex and kill somebody by accident sort of you know, uh, as as that's as usually how it does. happens. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, 
That's how it works. <laughs> it's a trial and error. And then kill somebody intentionally is the dude that she's been keeping in a barn for like, at this point, like 20 years. And then she has sex with him and then knifes him in the front yard because, you know, it's, it's just how it's taking care of business. <laughs> taking care of business. Every Okay, so I'm getting bogged down in this. Okay, and then the last part is like family. And this is the most interesting thing to me because this movie is brutal. But it sort of ends... If Hereditary is, like, you can never escape, like, past trauma and familial trauma and, like, the fucked up of your family is just going to get passed on to you forever, like, that's sort of how Hereditary feels when you finish watching it. This one is weird because, okay, so she doesn't have a baby. She abducts a baby and then keeps the mother of that baby in a barn similarly to this guy for years but the kid seems all right he even makes the opposite decision that she made she kept a dude in a barn when her son finds out that there's this woman in a barn he doesn't know who she is but he lets her free in a weird sort of turn of events it's almost like you know I don't, like, she is a good mother, it seems like, and, like, teaches her son the difference between right and wrong, even though she has no concept of it. And then it backfires. And then it backfires. <laughs> then they, she gets caught by the police, because, you know, dude, dude's a stand-up kid, lets out his biological mother, and, and, yeah, the cops, the cops figure it out. But, all of that is to say that it ends on a weirdly hopeful, hopeful note that no matter, it's sort of the opposite, no matter how bad your parents are, they can maybe be really good parents and help you escape the cycle of just past, past trauma. It's almost like your mom was a psychopathic killer who locked people in a barn, but she did the best she could. She had the best intentions. <laughs> she the best worst intentions. And that's a, that's one of the reasons the main character is like not truly sympathetic, but the movie is structured so that you feel some sort of sympathy towards her. Okay. Do you oh. sound you seem like you don't agree. No, I mean, I remember a lot of this is coming back. Like I said, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. A lot of it was impressed on me, but hearing you talk through it is refreshing a lot of things for me. And so much so, it's almost like I was going to transition into Goodnight Mommy as our mm -hmm. next discussion piece, because it's almost a 360 where it's that movie in reverse almost, where we're introduced to these very innocent characters, and then by the end of the movie, you're like, oh no, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened to these sweet little German boys? And um, it was kind of funny because watching that film with you, who else was there? It was, um, oh yeah, you and Greg. And right off the bat, you guys kind of called the fact that you thought one of the kids was imaginary. But then you were sort of starting to doubt it. Because then I was thinking in my head, I'd seen it before and I was like, ah, damn, like, I don't remember it being this obvious. And then halfway through the movie, you guys were both like, but wait a minute. They yeah. throw in these little things to sort of throw you off the path and then also to kind of introduce the mother as this sort of very strict authoritarian scary masked woman who has this mysterious identity and then you begin to doubt if she's the same mother that the boys remember and then the boys start to trick the viewer into thinking that she is some sort of weird monster because we see their dreams which are intercut throughout the film but then by the end of the movie all bets are off we just see it kind of ramping up ramping up ramping up and ramping up and then by the time you realize what's happening it's too late yeah, no, it's it's sort of a thing, because I think both Hereditary and Eyes of My Mother are sort of about fears of parents or fears that, like, fears of trauma that parents inflict. I think Goodnight Mommy, at its core, is a movie that's about the fear of being a bad parent. Hereditary and Eyes of My Mother are, like, looking at one's parents and are being like, well, fuck, maybe we're doomed because of the actions of our parents. Goodnight Mommy is sort of looking at the same thing, but from the other way. Like, no matter what I do, I might just end up being a bad parent and, like, lead to my own destruction and the destruction of my children. Especially when there's flaming cats and fish tanks filled yep. with gasoline. <laughs> it's also... <laughs> Also, one thing that makes all of these movies striking is that they're really well made. Like, there's not a movie that we're talking about 
in like the main thing that is not extremely well made. Yeah, like, the cinematography is what like like what you were saying. There's shots in some of these movies that even just like if you took a still from one of these movies, you could frame it and that would be art. Like yeah. it would be the color mixing is beautiful. Even the black and white in Eyes of My Mother is very striking. Like it's always presented as horror art in a way. All these movies that we're going to talk about here tonight, but especially this one in particular, has the same sort of thing that you were talking about. Like lots of wide shots, lots of long cuts, just holds. A lot of those scenes where the the kids are sort of wandering around in the woods and then they wander in front of a cave and then there's a slow zoom into the cave and like they're they're using all the film there then they don't care like it's just (laughs) like okay we're gonna take our time none of this is gonna hit the cutting room floor we need this we need this tension we need the suspense and it doesn't come off as corny it's like really kind of just like well like is there something wrong with the kid like maybe not maybe he's trying to get away because then it, it gets to a point, like, in the middle of the movie where you can't tell if, like, the kid's the bad guy or if the mom's the bad guy. Right. But then the kid's afraid of the mom, but then by the end the mom's afraid of the kid. <laughs> and it's like, the table's I, turned so many times in that movie. I mean, it's, this one also sort of made clear, like, that the disconnect of grief and, like, sort of knowing the difficulty of realizing that everybody's going through it because the crux of the movie which you find out close to the end and it's hinted at throughout is that there are twin boys but one of them died and the other one is so traumatized by this event that he has basically invented reinvented his twin brother as an aspect of his own personality and it's weird because so he's dealing with the trauma in that way The mother is dealing with the trauma by sort of not being able to talk through with her son her own trauma of losing a child and, like, not being willing to play along about at a certain point, which makes sense with, you know, doing two table settings, one for each child. Because you got to imagine that as the mom, doing that every single day is just, like, reopening this terrible wound, this terrible event. Because she mentions at one point that that for a while the the child insisted on two sets of clothes being laid out and things like that. And yeah, that's gotta be it. There's, There's parallels too between that and Hereditary because one of the great things that both movies play on is that fear of loss in general. Yeah. Um, Because between those movies, so like there's, there's more active loss in Hereditary versus like past loss in Goodnight Mommy, but it still sort of feels the same. Like, it's very guttural. It's very deep for all these characters. And especially when you realize the turn when the kid finally... When it's sort of finally revealed that there's only one kid. And it's just like, oh, I had my suspicions, but now I really know how fucked up this kid is. Yeah. But yeah, I think that plays into a big part of the fear of parents or the fear of mothers and, like, again, a different layer of losing your parents. Like, that's another thing that we see in these movies especially too like going back to say for example some of the classic films that you were mentioning like Psycho or we were going to bring up Friday the 13th and the whole dynamic between Jason and Mama Voorhees where it's at the same time in the first film where it is revealed that Mama Voorhees is the killer she went on this great murderous rampage crusade epic in the first film because she was just so distraught and so sad over losing Jason and she was going after all the people she blamed and then it almost seems like the (laughs) 10 movies after that it's Jason avenging his mother so it's like it's almost this again circuitous thing where the characters who are the bad guys and I'm using air quotes because they're the bad guys but also you can always sort of make these characters sympathetic because at the end of the day they were afraid at one point they lost what they were afraid to lose and then that's what drives them so they have their own motivations and their own drives that sort of justify it for them a good villain is always sympathetic. Yeah. Like, it's sort of it's sort of how what can sort of maintain interest. It's one of the reasons that you can watch Eyes of My Mother like for as long <laughs> as you do. Pin your eyelids back. You cannot blink. You, you have know. to watch the whole thing. Although I do want to get back to something with Goodnight Mommy and oh, yeah. I think something that really comes out in Goodnight Mommy and The Babadook which is another movie that we're going to talk about, and maybe we can just uh, set that to the side, is Good Night, Mommy and the Babadook are the only ones of these movies that are directed by women. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's so these are all movies about like being parents and also like being mothers specifically, but 
this is sometimes I feel like this is sort of a shortcut, but it is worth noting that both Goodnight Mommy and the Babadook focus less on being traumatized by parents, or maybe not less, but do have a perspective of how difficult it can be to be a mother. And they sort of link in that, that weird sort of way, but we can put a pin in that and return to it. It's, yeah, it's horrifying in its own right, being a mother, and it probably deserves its whole own section. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into it just a bit. But so, to, to finish off with Goodnight Mommy, so that was your, you were excited to see that. Yeah. Because it was almost like reminding you that you hadn't seen it, and we watched it, and so your reaction to the film and how it finished. Like, don't, again, don't worry about spoilers, like how, how were, like, what was the emotional journey of Che during that movie? Huh. So, I would say a few things. I mean, it is also really intense. You sort of feel for the relationship of the boys as you watch it, also. Because there are a lot of scenes of, you know, just two brothers running around you know, in the German countryside, like, doing, doing things. Doing being, German things. Do, being young boys. And there's also... The mom is terrifying for most of it. She is not presented as sympathetic, which I think sort of adds to to the theme. At first, you know, it could even be described as a coping mechanism, the weird plastic surgery stuff, although the plastic surgery might be because of the accident that she's been in, and that makes it maybe more sympathetic. But I don't know, as it gets weirder and it becomes like really it's sort of a similar feeling of like you get this feeling in your gut that like something bad is going to happen and that there's no sort of no escaping it in the first so i guess goodnight mommy hereditary and eyes of my mother there's no i guess eyes of my mother there's like a really you gotta reach for a silver lining or like (laughs) you know a lot of horror it's some people die and some people get out for all of these movies, it's like all of the main characters don't get out or are changed to the point of basically not being the same people anymore. So yeah, so this, all of these movies, I'm glad that I've watched them and I'll probably recommend them. And like I said, I think they're fun to talk about because they're really well made and pretty fascinating. But by the end, you're just sort of wiped the fuck out. Like, that's sort of my feeling. You don't have the feel, like, you're not going to be like, oh, I want to watch, I want to watch that movie again in, like, a couple months. Like, you know, maybe a couple years. (laughs) Like, that's what I said when I was like, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot I had that on iTunes. Let's totally watch it, because I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, which was probably, like, two or three years ago, almost. Yeah, it is, it is a very heavy film, especially by the time you get to the end. For me, the more I think about it, there is this disconnect. There's this weird disconnect for me when you're watching the film and they have the mother, they have their mother trapped in the bed and they finally get into, he's having this sort of back and forth where it's leading up to the reveal that the other child isn't real or is a figment. And he's questioning himself whether it's his mother, whether he should be torturing her. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. He's trying to like burn, everything comes back. You see the kids doing stuff like flossing their teeth or like killing ants with a magnifying glass or, and like all these things they use to torture them on. They like aggressively floss her teeth in a really uncomfortable scene. They use a magnifying glass to just burn her face that she just had reconstructed or like lifted or what, whatever she had done. And then, yeah, at the end when they just set her full on fire and just kill her accidentally, but still that was probably their intention all along. For me, it's almost like I have to trick myself... To force myself to watch those scenes, I have to be like, that's not their mom. That's just some lady they abducted. And for some reason, that makes it better for me. Right. Not better, but, like, easier to watch. But it's still it's still kind of terrifying in that you're scared for the boys for most of that movie, and then at the end, it's just like, oh, no, shit, I'm, t- I'm terrified for her. Yeah. It's, uh... I don't know, this... All three of these movies get into some, like, deep, visceral shit. Like, deep sort of, like, fears that we're embarrassed by, almost. Like, uncomfortable fears. You know, a lot of horror movies, it's like, oh, like, I'm afraid of being in the dark, because there might be somebody who comes and abducts me. And that's actually, that's something that does happen, and, you know, it's viable to be afraid, or... People get abducted in the dark all the time. People get abducted frequently, but, you know, it's sort of, (laughs) like, I'm afraid of monsters, is what it 
sort of reduces down to this is so more like I'm afraid of my parents or I'm afraid of my children and that is like that's like a shameful thing to admit I think that's sort we of we are the monsters yeah like not only we are the monsters but like the people we're supposed to be closest to can be you know the monsters in our lives and we have a lot of social conditioning to not admit that that's true sometimes because then you just sort of feel like you're stabbing yourself there saying these things or expressing these feelings. Yeah. Because people have a hard time expressing their emotions. But that's a good, that's actually a really good transition to the movie we just watched. Who was the monster in, or what was the monster in The Monster? Yeah, the monster in The Monster is actually, looking back, kind of lame. Is <laughs> like, you know, an okay practical effects. I thought that they were going to... At the beginning of the movie, or when you're first introduced to the the rubber monster, I thought that they were going to mostly hide the monster, and that would have been, I feel like, more effective. A little but bit you, more, yeah. But you really get to know the rubber effects monster in the monster. It's to their of, credit, it is a dude in a suit the whole time. There's, yeah. like, no CG, so... I mean, part at times it looks really good. Other times it looks sort of like Attack the Block, but Attack the Block was a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's basically the Attack the Block monster without the hair and like the neon teeth. It's just, yeah. yeah. When they actually realize that you can shine the light on the monster to sort of blind it, it's like, oh, well now you're, you're taking away even more of the mystery now that it's just in the light. Yeah. Like, but as I was like, when I was joking around with you guys as we were sitting there watching it, I love the dynamic of these these intercut flashbacks where we're introduced first to the the mother and daughter and it's a very young mother and like a like a you can't really tell how old the daughter is but there's still this sort of like 10 preteen yeah yeah but there's this whole thing in the beginning where she the mom tells the daughter you're too old for that and then the daughter tells the mom you're too old for a lot of things and you get this really stressful relationship that's then throughout the continuity of the movie retold in flashbacks of like really hard interactions between the two of them including one where they're just yelling fuck you fuck you fuck you back and forth and it's like who talks to a child that way and then where there's a scene where it's it's introduced that she's a she's dealing with alcoholism and she has one of her uh, boyfriends over and they they both almost throttle the kid trying to get the car keys because they're both drunk and in that scene it's almost so stressful because she does ultimately hit the child in that scene and then that's yeah. where you're just like well shit like things right now in the present of the movie seem okay but like that's that's there for both of them i mean only sort of okay like the mom says basically that she's permanently gonna go live with her father yeah that's how the movie opens like <laughs> yeah i mean i think it does better than like parts of the movie are spooky i would say that for the first three movies that we talked about are sort of maybe definitely better a lot more yeah craft or it, it like the spooky parts are better crafted the intercut structure of like sort of learning about the history of the mother and her child and you know that they've had a pretty rough relationship it's introduced early on that the kid probably does more taking care of the mom and the mom does taking care of the kid. She's a violent alcoholic and, you know, has relapsed. She made it two days without drinking. She had an advent calendar that her child made for her, and she made it two days of that advent calendar <laughs> without digging booze out of the trash. Um, well, was it one of those beer calendars where, like, every day you open it and there's another beer in there? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's their first mistake, <laughs> is that... But that's how she approached it. No, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that structure is really good. And I think the sort of building of their relationship and the, although the ending is sort of cheesy, you know, like the voiceover with, you know, the daughter walking to safety, sort of that idea, it does also end on a hopeful note that, you know, I might be fucked up as a parent, but I think that I can do a good enough job that you can be better than I was. So it's similar to maybe Eyes of Eyes of My Mother in that way. Yeah, but I, I'd agree it's definitely like on the low scale of like intensity or Yeah. You know. It definitely was like one that I was interested in introducing to you because of the, the dynamic like more of like the stressful dynamic to, between mother and daughter that was presented, but like that was really good. In some ways, that is maybe more or better developed 
then I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that it's hinted at in something like Goodnight Mommy. Mm. And actually, like, both Goodnight Mommy and Eyes of My Mother delve deep into ambiguity. A lot of stuff is really ambiguous. Hereditary, nothing is ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, Hereditary you is have all no down questions. the table. Some of these movies, like, they're, they'd rather show you, like, they will 100% show you the worst, most intense gore, but when it comes to, like, family drama, it's implied. Yeah. And then this movie's almost the opposite. It doesn't show, it shows you a bit of the gore, but it's, like, more so that it's, like, up front that, like, this child is essentially abused. But, yeah, I agree. Like, the monster is fun. It's not, like, it's still it's still scary at parts, but, like... It's a midnight movie monster. Yeah, exactly. There's no, like, I don't think there's, like, a full metaphor there, but I think it's obviously, like, trying to make that parallel. I think maybe if, like, this might sound a little bit weird, but, like, now that I'm thinking about it and talking about it out loud, maybe if there was a dynamic where potentially there was a baby monster... Right. ...that was also there... Or, like, maybe if it's revealed that, like, that is the baby monster and the mother monster comes in and is also just like, what the hell, bro? Like, why are you eating these people? Like, that would have been interesting, maybe. Well, I think it sort of exists in this world of... It's more of a what-if story. So Hmm. that's how it deals with these themes. You know, what if there was a mother and a daughter that were taking a car trip and they got attacked by a monster and what would it reveal about their relationship? Yeah. The other ones are sort of not really what-if stories. They're more like big themes come out to play and are really good in that because that's actually really tough to pull off. Yeah. I mean, a what-if story is also really tough to pull off and I think what makes the monster sort of more engaging than I would even say some that are maybe more classics, like even something like Friday the 13th, is that, you know, the the core of that relationship is actually really strong and really well written and gets into sort of some of the ambiguity of abuse Well, doesn't always just, you know, it's more complicated than just a purely abusive relationship. Like, there's love in abusive relationships, too, which, you know, makes them relationships and not just abuse. I would say, yeah, now that you put it that way, I would say that the relationship in the monster between mother and daughter is more akin to Carrie, where it's yeah. it's very much like, I mean, the, the abuse scale in Carrie is, like, way up there. She's locking her in closets, and she's, you know, yeah. doing crazy shit. But there is that weird, you can tell there's love there, but it's that crazy kind of love where she yeah. thinks she knows what's best for her daughter. That's kind of not what's in the monster, but... I think the the mom in the monster is also much more sympathetic than the mother in Carrie, than Carrie's mom also just cause mm. you can see why, you know, like she's a young mom. She, you know, is an alcoholic as a young mom is, you know, she might've even been an alcoholic before she became a mother. It's all of, all of these things sort of, she had, she's had a tough road in life too. Yeah. But that's so, like, the more I think about it, like, and let me pitch this to you, something that may have been more successful or made that movie a little bit more pulled off, for me at least, would be if we replace the wolf that gets hit in the beginning with, like, a young monster. So maybe that's, like, the mother Mm -hmm. monster losing her daughter. Right. That would have been an interesting dynamic, at least for me. But then it would also just be like, oh, there's a dead monster in the road, that's what it looks like, what the fuck's going on? Like, it's sort of weird, like... I mean, that could work. I mean, yeah, I think for the dynamic of this movie, it's not really necessary. It's sort of like trying to make the monster into, like, some of the other movies that we've talked about. And giving it some sort of sympathetic... Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's... I don't know. I think it's it can be enjoyed sort of on its own, on its own merits. Like, mm. it's thematically linked to what we've been talking about, but isn't... Exactly like I think Goodnight Mommy, Hereditary, and Eyes of My Mother are very similar movies, and I don't. I think the monster is just a very different type of movie. Mm. Um, also, not as the sort of craft of storytelling through film is done well in the monster. This sort of the craft of film is much more impressive in Goodnight Mommy, Hereditary, and Eyes of My Mother. Yeah, some of some of the wood shots in the monster are like cool, but there's not as many like wow moments where you're like, oh yeah, because it's mostly just filmed on like one road and like one in a road. car or like outside or like at in night. Another... Yeah, very it's dark. Very dark. Yeah. So it's not as visually impressive, but a fun movie. 
Yeah, more fun than the other movies that we've talked <laughs> exactly. about. So yeah, because you're kind of rooting for them, and like you're like, oh, but like she's kind of terrible. Oh, they're kind of bonding. Like it's weird. But going from that, from from this stressful mother daughter scenario, bringing it back around, like you said, to the Babadook, yeah, um, which is a stressful mother son relationship. Well, from what I remember of seeing that movie a couple times, it's sort of almost she's still kind of suffering this kind this this postpartum but like well, not postpartum no like, because the kid's like like 10 or something right i mean i think it's more about like grieving her partner that she lost that's right i forgot yep. about that aspect of it okay but is there parts in the film where she specifically blames the child for that is it or is it just the stress of having like a crazy kid i think it's sort of yeah sort of the stress of having a crazy kid and having to do it on your own so part of my life is I'm also an educator and it's funny I was talking with somebody else who I worked in a um who I was working with in a school and we were talking about this movie and the mother is horrified of of her child having an aid and we were both like no that sounds like a great solution get that kid an aid like <laughs> you know and there are, there are ways to do it so that it's less intrusive and it like singles out that one child much less but yeah, I would say that I think it is more focused on just having to do it alone with a kid that's really difficult to raise. Yeah. And, I mean, the kid is also sort of sweet. I mean, the thing about The Babadook is, I think, The Babadook is a more enjoyable watch. Like, it's really intense. But it has that feeling of fairy tale yeah. kind of storytelling like you, you were talking about before with Eyes of My Mother, yeah. right? Because... As I remember when I was looking back at it, they have those intercut sort of paper cut illustration animation scenes that like I loved in the movie because it's all based around the fact that it's this really intense weird children's book, right? Yeah. Which yeah, I feel like who why why would you get that fucking book for your kid? I they just found it on the shelf, but it's also, I don't know, the Babadook also frequently gets identified with the dad who died. Mm. And I don't know, I think it's just sort of... And I've seen this written, you know, I'm not going to take credit for... <laughs> but that it's um, sort of dealing with the idea of grief. Okay. And, like, going back to uh, Goodnight Mommy, once again, like, the only other one that was sort of... That was directed by a woman. Um, the Babadook does, once again, feel more like a movie about being afraid of, like, being a poor mother or not being able to do it. And also, like, dealing with, like, things that you don't expect to deal with, like your husband dying and you having to deal with the grief of him not being around. Like, even even when they resolve it, like, the Babadook is still hanging out in the basement. They go to feed it, like, worms or something. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very weird. Um, but once again, like, sort of fairy tale structure. It doesn't, that grief doesn't go away even when you've sort of worked through it. Like, it's... It's still still in the house. The grief is coming from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. No, it's, it's funny how you can break this movie down a few different ways, but at the end of the day, within the last couple of years, the Babadook creature himself has become like a gay icon yep. of, the, of the community, and I think that's a great takeaway from this movie. It's, it's, very, it's very stressful and it's very terrifying at times, but at the end of the day, like, he, just, he just wants everybody to to be fabulous and live their lives and do what they do and I think that's great but um yeah as you were talking about that I know I know the theme of this episode was going to be sort of the horrors of motherhood and how like motherly characters are sort of leaned on heavily to kind of stress people out and create these feelings and terrify people in general but I was thinking about movies like it's alive is that the one with the the monster baby oh yes yeah we watched that a long time I mean, that is also a movie about, like, fear of having children and, But like, almost from them a man's perspective, because yeah. then he's just like, oh, I have a mutant hideous child that I have to chase down with a shotgun, and, like, <laughs> it's almost like the exact opposite, because he almost becomes the hero where he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to shoot a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and then somehow they made three or four of those movies. Yeah, no, it's, in a weird way, it's, like weird sort of like Oedipal fear <laughs> like in that it's... my child will devour me and then yeah yeah but it also sort of makes it I don't know like silly macho nonsense like at a at a certain point like I feel like all of these stories like 
have a much deeper base in sort of realities and sort of like shameful realities that we don't like to talk about that, you know, like sometimes we're really poor children and also sometimes we're really poor parents and like that those things have consequences and that we don't escape those consequences all the time. Like sometimes we can work through it. Like the Babadook and Mama, which we'll maybe talk about in a second, in some ways are the more hopeful and I would say the Babadook and Mama are like the most fun movies to watch of these. Like I would watch either of those movies at any time. But but yeah, the you know, like for those movies it seems like there's work that can be accomplished. At other points in other of these movies it seems like there's there ain't shit that you can do. <laughs> you were fucked up and your grandma <laughs> your parents were fucked grandma up. Grandma fucked up, mama grandma. fucked up. Yep, and then <laughs> you are fucked up and you will fuck up. Yeah, and leaning into that cuz we haven't had we haven't talked a lot about Mama yet. That one is fantastic movie. A fantastic movie again <laughs> like it leans even heavier into the whole fairy tale kind of visuals yep. and aspect to it. It was expanded from a, a short film like a like a 10 or 15 minute short film of the same name I believe. I've never seen the short film. It's really good. It, okay, it's, I'll and check the that fact out. that it it uh, it expanded to a full length feature um, successfully, in my opinion, speaks volumes. Because there's a couple others that came out, like um, Lights Out was another one that was like a short film that got turned into a movie and wasn't that good. Um, but the short film was amazing. But Mama produced, I think, by it was produced by Guillermo del Toro, or like yeah. he had something to do with it. Yeah. You really kind of feel his his finger in the pie there, like very much like his wheelhouse. The color palette, again, a beautiful movie. And a lot of the techniques, like, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful movie. A lot of the techniques, especially, like, the editing techniques, like, there's a moment where you sort of get inside the head of Mama Mm. and, like, see sort of, like, those transitions and her maybe even sort of transforming. Um, when she's so just, fiercely protective of the children, too. Yeah. When you see how, like, she, like the way... Because it does give you sort of a first-person perspective of her when she's kind of creeping around, and she's looking at the girls, and it's almost like a tender view. But then when she sees, like, the dad or the mom, she gets, like, like really aggressive. Yeah. And then when you actually... The reveal later on of what Mama is, and, like, you kind of see her, and it's terrifying. And it's, you know, it terrifies the people who are unaware, but the girls are just like, yeah, no, that's just Mama. Like, yeah. that's kind of weirdly endearing because at the end of the day she is kind of a weird hideous creature that's like I would shit my pants if I saw mama in real life but again it's an interesting dynamic because at the end of the day it almost speaks to the levels where those girls were lost in the woods and then they were sort of raised by mom how how long were they so this is also an interesting thing because it does get into sort of like psychology and wild children like there is a basis of this but there's so there is one daughter who remembers you know living among civilization much better and she acclimates much better the much younger daughter is much more of like a feral child but they're not like the older child is not a preteen so i think it's like three or four years yeah but long enough for children to sort of adapt and be like like okay this is like almost being raised by wolves yeah no it's exactly being raised by wolves and even like some of the things like some of the ways that the younger child walks Mm. um yeah the scenes where she's crawling around on like the the shelves and like the the, like that's terrifying that's that's even before you actually see mama it's like oh is she gonna be the monster the whole time but that has a base it's not exactly like it's very cinematic but this has a basis of sort of um feral children or there was a really famous case of a child that basically was not exposed to language because her father was terrible, was like a real life horror story, and basically chained her in a room for the first 12 years of her life. But so she didn't learn, there were many things that she didn't learn how to do, but like even the way that the younger child walks is reminiscent of like the case studies of like how she moved when she first like got out and was um, put in a more protective environment. And that sort of leads into later in the film when they're sort of trying to work through the whole who has the custody because okay. so, yep. they're relatives right yeah. it's the, the, the dude from Game of Thrones is their uncle yep. is he their was like uncle. a twin of the dad yep. and then the girl is like his reluctant partner who never wanted to be a mom yeah who never and that's interesting I mean what's interesting about this one is that you sort of have two mom dynamics you have this sort of mama like the fierce mother who wants fierce, to be a mother yeah, who wants to be a mother and who like has her children taken away 
from her. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's part of her origin story. And then you have this, you know, other character that doesn't really want to be a mother, never wanted to be a mother, and then suddenly finds herself as as a mother to these young kids who are basically basically her nieces. So when they're finally sort of figuring out the actual, because there is some scenes where there's there's legal conversations over who's going to have custody of the children, whether it's going to be him or the state, because they live difficult lives, because he's like a musician and she's an artist and they don't make enough money, they don't seem supportive enough for the children. Right. And then there is just like this struggle at the end where it's like this this monster woman wants to have the children for herself and then they're trying to raise them in the house and like mom is sneaking around and then it just all kind of comes to a head. And then it it sort of culminates in that sort of difficult scene where, of course, in very much Guillermo del Toro classic style, we do lose a child at the end of the film. But it's in a really weird, again, like, fairy taleish, lofty way where she falls off the cliff and envelops her and then they fly away like butterflies. Yeah, no, it's... That's, that's the only problem I have with the movie is the end, kind of. I actually, so, you know, to do the Siskel and Ebert thing, I actually quite like the ending. And okay. I like it for two reasons. One... It keeps the stakes of what's going on, like, high enough mm. and doesn't make it so, you know, that's sort of why I have an issue with the ending of The Monster is it's sort of cheesy and her survival is, you know, sort of, I mean, she does it and she's like, you know, the kid that beats the monster. I think the reason that I like the ending of Mama is that it also, like, it's everything was up for grabs in that movie, including that, like, you know, one of the children gets taken by by Mama, and the other child get ra- gets raised by an actual mother, the, the surrogate mother who is her aunt. But yeah, it, it sort of leads me into sort of doubling back a little bit, because the idea of having a fear, being fiercely wanting to be a mother... In the case of, like, Mama, in the case of uh, Mama Voorhees, like, they just, they identify themselves as mothers. They want to be mothers so bad that when they lose that opportunity, it just breaks them. Yeah. And they become these these things. There are other movies that I'm, I'm just remembering. We didn't want to bring too many movies in here just to keep the episode at, like, a reasonable length, but also not to confuse too many things or to, to mix too many metaphors. But I'm thinking of a couple of movies. It's Alive. They did a remake of that movie that was more about the relationship between the killer baby and the mom. Okay. Um, which was actually a little bit better because it makes more sense that it's a little bit tighter there. But also, there's another one called The Unborn, which is about, like a, I think, like a demon baby, uh, sort of in, in... It's in the womb at the time of the movie, so it's almost like this alien relationship where there's, you know, it almost is like a chest burster, but it's a belly burster scene. You know what we're missing? I'm, I'm gonna let you finish. But you know what we're missing? Did I miss another movie? Yeah, we're which missing one? Rosemary's Baby. That how come? How, wow, oh, that yeah, one just that's... flew right over. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Again, no, I mean that lumps in with these ones, like the idea of like the the fresh born demon baby. The other one that I saw recently in the last year that I highly recommend because it is a crazy movie, but it is incredible and amazing in its own right. Very, very, very visceral and and hard to watch at times is Anti Birth. And it's basically about this woman who gets roofied at one point in a factory and wakes up and is suddenly pregnant instantaneously. But Wait, like, does this is this the one with Natasha Leone? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And it's she just she plays this really hard role to like to get behind because she's just constantly drinking and smoking and doing drugs while the baby's just kind of gestulate and you have no idea what's going on in her belly. And then the end of the movie is just so knockdown, drag out, psycho. Like the colors are crazy. There's blood everywhere. There's, I think it's like aliens or something. I can't remember how it resolves, but like that's a really good one because it's just the the I've described that movie. I remember when I saw it and I described that movie to to one of my friends who's like very much against having children, almost to the point where I believe it's a phobia. And she was having a hard time, like, with me describing it to her. <laughs> Especially when I talked about how, like, at the end, like, she basically just bursts at the end of the film. And this, like, it's not even a baby. It's, like, a full-grown, like, man-monster-alien thing that comes out of her. And, like, saves her, but, like, she's still kind of, right. like, whatever. But it's the, the theme of motherhood is very pervasive in the horror genre. And I think we could be here for days talking about it. And we could just find more and more movies. But Rosemary's Baby, how did we forget about that one? I know, that's... <laughs> 
it's embarrassing, actually. A little bit, a little bit. But, I mean, it is very pervasive, but I think, like, these run of movies that we talked about that we've been sort of focusing on are sort of a new way of looking mm, at yeah. it. And it's sort of that there have been so many movies in the span of... It's the oldest ones are The Babadook and Mama, and those have come out in the last four years at the very, like, in the most distant past. Yeah. Like, so, I don't know. It's like this sort of thing that has been focused on in a way that sort of slash... I mean, part of it is probably success. Like, both Mama and the Babadook were, you know, sort of cult classics in the same way that, you know, Halloween spawned a thousand slasher movies. But I think it really is sort of a reinvestigation of something that's existed in the horror genre, but now has sort of a different approach. There's just so much, and like we still have some we haven't even gotten to, um, and maybe this is a way to transition into Under the Shadow, which was one I almost forgot about. Yeah. Um, also, extremely well made. Yep. Like, beautiful. I don't, Under the Shadow is interesting because it's sort of, you know, all of these other movies are sort of made in Western European contexts. America or Western Europe or New Zealand. Um, but, you know, like, The Babadook isn't uh, like a New Zealand movie that's focusing on Aboriginal culture. <laughs> you know, it's not like a movie about Maori folks. But I think it's interesting because it sort of expands what we've been talking about so far because on top of everything else, Under the Shadow, which is about a mother in Iran after the Cultural Revolution in Iran, the actual revolution and then the cultural revolution that the uh, that the nation went through, it's an Iranian mother that has to, you know, think about what it means to have a daughter. And also, you know, like a politically progressive mother. She, want, she wanted to be a doctor. She's being denied being a doctor by the university. And specifically because she was a left activist at the university. But all of that is to say that, you know, the horrors of motherhood are different in the Iranian context and part of those horrors is that you know after after the revolution one has to deal with the responsibility of daughters maybe not necessarily being as free as the previous generation was and that's sort of like something that the country has to deal with and think about this is not an Iranian production by the way it's made outside of Iran by an Iranian filmmaker. Uh, what do you think, Andrew? I remember thinking it was sort of weird that she had she had a workout tape, right, that she had to hide. Yeah. And that was kind of weird to think about and the fact that, you know, if she was caught with this paraphernalia, she'd potentially be arrested and then that kind of... It almost breeds this real stressful paranoia but also almost akin to the trapped feeling you have in a movie like John Carpenter's The Thing where she's like in her apartment and that's only the only room where she can kind of be herself but even then when people come and knock on her door she still has to kind of put on this face and be the person she kind of doesn't necessarily want to be right? because of what's going on. But even then in her own house because it's not a ghost it's a djinn it's like a, a spirit in Arab folklore Who's specifically coming after her child. Who's specifically coming after her child. And just the other, like, the other things, because that's the, that becomes the main threat, but the fact that also she can potentially be arrested or sent away at any time, she gets her, her education taken away from her, and then you talked about it earlier when we were discussing it, the, the scene where the bomb drops. Yeah. That's terrifying. The whole apartment complex or building gets sort of wrecked and... She, at one point, with her medical background, has to go up and save a gentleman who's had a heart attack, I believe? Yeah, right? he's had a heart attack because um, a bomb, like, came through um, in the ceiling. To put this more, like, accurately in time, it's set during the war between Iran and Iraq. Um, and so it really kind of, like, it's, it's a horror movie that takes place in, like, a horrifying time period where really anything could go wrong at any time. Yeah. Like when, if it's not going to be this crazy evil entity that's going to 
take away your child or harm you in some way, it's going to be a bomb. Yeah. Like, that's, like, there's no real safe space except for, again, like, her apartment where she can be herself, but then not if it gets exploded. So it's yeah. it's very, it's a very tense, but also, it's a slow burn at the same time. Yeah, it's, that's the other thing is that it very slowly becomes a supernatural horror movie. Yeah, you know, um, you almost don't see it coming, and then it's kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, from all these movies, what I've really gleaned is it's just, it's hard to be a mom. Moms don't get enough credit for momming. <laughs> and if, especially if moms don't get enough credit for momming, they might turn to murder. Yep. That's um, the or other... demons, or... I mean, that's the other thing is that it's also, like, what you get from this is that it's hard to be a kid. Yeah. Like, because it's hard to be a mom, it's also hard to be a child. <laughs> like... <laughs> Is it, though? I mean, like, if, like, yeah, there's some examples in the movies that we just talked about where it is hard to be a child, but, like, a lot of it is from the fact that, like, kids try to live these easy lives where they kind of press mom's buttons constantly, and then mom might want to kill them. Like, that's understandable, right? Yeah. (laughs) We have it on the record. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can... I can definitely see that. I think that's one of the more overarching themes. Like, it's a fear of, like, doing harm to your kids, and it's also a fear of doing harm um, to your parents. But I think it's also a deep fear of not being able to break the cycle. Yeah. Um, and... Because um, there is the, there's the fear of not being a good parent, but also in a way where it, it extends where you're afraid that if you aren't good to your children, then they won't be good to their children. They'll they'll take what yep. you've taught them or take what they've seen or heard and turn it into something terrible. And it's such a great responsibility being a parent, not that I would know, but these films sort of show little vignettes into how wrong it can go. And that's kind of like, ultimately, it's one of those deep-rooted fears that, you know, the great psychologists will tell you about. Like, people are always afraid of becoming their parents, but at the end of the day, your parents have the same fear of their parents. Yeah, It's kind of a never-ending cycle. And sometimes it ends in, like, a horror movie. And also, like, how difficult... Because to break the cycle, you sort of have to navigate some very difficult relationships. Like, in Hereditary, with her older child, the mother kept the grandmother away. Mm. And then with the younger child... And she describes it like, I didn't... I lost contact with my mom because I didn't want her to get her claws into him like that's how she puts it yeah um which means you know like sometimes it means like putting strain on those um other relationships because they might be unhealthy you know it's not as unhealthy as you know demon worshipping terrifying (laughs) grandma yeah if grandma's hanging out with a bunch of other old ladies in uh in like hooded bathrobes you might want to ask some questions yep if you see something say something she gets showered with gold in (laughs) the family albums and gives you weird necklaces with uh symbols you don't understand on it any occult symbols that appear in in family get-togethers you might want to ask some questions yeah but i feel like the main thing that we take away from this is grandmas and grandmas in general if they don't come strapped with oatmeal cookies five dollars checks and where there's originals then you might need to distance yourself look for the signs (laughs) look for the signs (laughs) red flags (laughs) the knives behind the back and yeah so thank you che for taking a deep dive into these these films these relationships these mother-daughter relationships these mother-son relationships i think we've really kind of gleaned a lot from these films definitely would you recommend people go out and see these movies if they haven't i mean every one of the main movies that we talked about absolutely some you know i recommend you only watch once (laughs) some are great and you'll probably want to watch a bunch of times um thanks for having me andrew for the listeners out there you can follow me at 3c robles um on twitter and i don't have a website yet i'm gonna get on that all right well (laughs) you heard it here first listeners look out for the website Che's going to have that out there sooner rather than later. You can bug him. You can bug me to bug him if you if you want me to in the meantime. Um, and with that being said, this has been another episode of Fear Boners. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you did like what you heard, you can contact us directly. We do have the Twitter at FearBonersDIFP. Uh, you can also email us directly at FearBonersDIFP at gmail.com. 
Um, you can also find out what the main podcast over on downinfrontpodcast.com where we post new episodes and sort of what we're working on and what's coming out soon. You can see our video teasers there as well. We also post the video teasers on and full episodes on youtube.com. You can find our channel there. We do have the main Down in Front podcast. If you want to recommend movies for us to watch, you can check that out at the crew at downinfrontpodcast.com and shoot an email there. Also, additionally, we do have the return of the video game Gamescast over on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash downinfrontpodcast. And also the main Down in Front Twitter at underscore DIFP. And again, what we do, we do it absolutely for free because we enjoy movies. We love having this ongoing conversation with you guys. And we like hearing what you have to say. But at the end of the day, Anything that you can do to help would be much appreciated. You can learn more about that over on patreon.com backslash downinfrontpodcast. Even a dollar a month helps. Prices on the can, like an Arizona iced tea. Please sponsor us. Again, again, thank you so much for tuning into listening. We appreciate you guys. This means the world to us. And we will be back sooner rather than later. So in the meantime, dear listeners, stay spooky. Stay spooky.